Hey, Cross Connection. Uh, it's great to be back with you again today. I'm Pastor Garrett, so if you're new or tuning into the broadcast for the first time, whether you're for us at work right now, driving in the car, um, or sitting at home, welcome. I'm so glad that you could join us for the message this morning. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 7. Uh, the book of Nehemiah is the Old Testament book uh, detailing the life and events of Nehemiah as he left the, uh, the palace from the king of Persia and traveled to Jerusalem to restore the uh, the strength of Jerusalem and ultimately build rebuilding the walls and then restoring worship for the Jews in Jerusalem. Um, pretty impressive what he was able to accomplish because of his discernment, his vision, and the great work that God had called him and led him to do. So where we ended up last week, uh, finishing up chapter 6, we now are officially halfway through the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah has accomplished his first project. Uh, the building project is now done. The walls are complete. The gates uh, and the doors in the, in the walls are now up and installed. So you can say, well, shouldn't the book of Nehemiah just close now and you can just say they all lived happily ever after? And uh, well, this isn't a fairy tale. And uh, in reality, there needs to be some protections in place to um, ultimately keep and maintain the good work that God has done through Nehemiah. And the same can be told um, of us uh, that in our own lives, what the good work that God has called us to do needs protection. We need to protect it and put up walls and gates and ways um, of protecting what God has done in me and you and what he's doing in this world um, in the church, through the church. So let's go ahead. If you have your Bibles open, go ahead, turn to Nehemiah chapter 7, and let's read that together. It says, Now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, um, castle charge over Jerusalem, for he was more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they are still standing guard, let them shut the bar and the doors. Appoint guards from amongst the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at the guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been built. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first. And I found written in it, these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity um, of whose exiles from Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. They came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Nehemiah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mishpareth, Bigvi, Nehun, and Bahan. And I'm going to skip the uh, genealogy record. It's a, um, a ton of names. Um, so we'll skip down to verse 67. Verse 67 begins, The whole assembly together was 42,360 beside their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337. And they had 245 singers, male and female. Their horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels 435, their donkeys 6,720. 6, and now some of the heads of the fathers' houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 derricks of gold, 50 basins, um, 30 priests' garments, 500 minas of silver, and some of the heads of the fathers' houses gave into the treasury of the work 
20,000 derricks of gold and 2,200 minas of silver. And what the rest of the people gave was 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 67 priests' garments. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, uh, and some of the people, the temple servants, and all of Israel lived in their towns. Let's pray. Father God, as we open up the book of Nehemiah, um, Lord, we kind of round the corner from the, the middle of Nehemiah, Lord, he had finished one of the greatest projects, restoring the safety to Jerusalem by rebuilding the great walls, Lord, and um, putting in the gates and the doors um, that could protect it, Lord. I pray, Lord, that as we study this, this chapter, Lord, as we study what Nehemiah is doing here, that, Lord, what we don't know, you would teach us. Lord, what we don't have that you would give us, and Lord, what we aren't that you would make us, Lord. Make us more and more like you, I pray. So Father, would you show us your ways, teach us your path, lead us in your truth, and would you teach us? We ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's go ahead and uh, begin by just saying that God had given Nehemiah a great work to accomplish. And um, if you were following us for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking a lot about what that great work looks like and the fact that God has called you to a great work as a believer. Um, God had given Nehemiah a great work to accomplish, and he accomplished this important work in restoring Jerusalem uh, by building the walls. But by building the walls and completing these walls in the miraculous 52 days, that was just the beginning, right? I mentioned like, you know, in, in most of our stories, secular stories today, fairy tales, you could say like, this great project in 52 days would get accomplished and then the bookend would close and it would say they all lived happily ever after safely in Jerusalem. Um, but this building project was really just the beginning of what God had led Nehemiah to Jerusalem to accomplish. Um, now he had to put in place a way to protect what was already built. You see, when God begins to do a work in us even, we need to put in place barriers and walls and gates to protect what God has established in us and what he's been working in us, changing, up, changing our character ultimately to match the calling that he's given us. So let's begin in, in verse 1 and we'll go from there. It says, Now when the walls had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites had been appointed. Nehemiah in this verse, he draws, especially uh, in the original Hebrew, he draws special attention not necessarily to the uh, massive impressive wall that he had just finished building, but um, in the original text, the main verb is actually, I set up the gates. And it's as if Nehemiah wishes to tell us, um, the modern day audience today, to, to draw our attention. Our focus is on the gates, right? Um, the most vulnerable place on the wall is the gate. And Nehemiah is trying to draw our attention to this. Like there's these massive walls that have been built, these brick walls, really tall and they're impenetrable. They actually, when these gates were finished, remember, if we remember last week, uh, Miles talked about that, that all the nations, all the surrounding nations feared because they understood that God had done that. That God had overseen and allowed these gates and these walls to be built and that made them afraid, right? That now Jerusalem was a place that could not be messed with. There was now power in Jerusalem because there was protection there. But Nehemiah draws our attention to the gates, the most vulnerable place on the walls, and really for Jerusalem, the most vulnerable place for the city. Um, if there was going to be an attack, the only place that they would be able to really get in was through those gates if they could break them down, or if they could sneak in while the gates were open. Um, so who needs to be put in charge of the most vulnerable place of the wall? Well, I would say that um, it's, it's, a, 
it is incredibly important um, who we appoint as gatekeepers, right? Who we appoint as um, singers and Levites, as Nehemiah as he appoints them. So, who did he appoint as the for the most one of the most important roles, um, really, of protecting what had been built, the great work that God had started? He appointed some very godly men that were trustworthy. He says this in verse two: I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he, as we're talking about Hananiah, he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. We would do well to recall, I think, in the previous chapter, before the gates and the doors were installed, Nehemiah went to a particular religious leader um, within the walls of Jerusalem, right, who was maliciously trying to get Nehemiah um, basically to go into the temple and hide because there was a supposed assassination attempt on his life that was going to happen that night. And Nehemiah looked at that man and he said, who would I be to go into the temple and live? How could I enter the temple and live? It would be impossible for me, a mere man, not a, not, not a man of the Levites tribe that could enter into the temple. I cannot go into the temple and live. You are trying to do this to basically discredit me and to also draw, um, really to build a wall between me and the priest, the relationship I have with the priest, because that would really ruffle some feathers and that would not be good. On top of the fact that Nehemiah knew his Bible, Nehemiah knew the word of God that he could not enter into the temple and live, nor should he as the leader. But because these religious leaders like, um, like Nehemiah had, you know, like, like we're trying to false, falsely prophesy to Nehemiah to go do these things, he didn't trust everybody after this. We have to remember that that's just in chapter six, just, just this last chapter, like Nehemiah is being tricked by people within his own camp, within, you know, the, the priestly order, if you will. Um, and so it's natural, I think, at this point for Nehemiah to trust few people with such an important task as guarding the most vulnerable place on the walls. Um, so do you remember who his brother Hanani is? Where did we see him before? We actually saw him, if you return back to the first chapter of Nehemiah, chapter one, verse two, Nehemiah is serving the king as the cupbearer, and his brother Hananiah and a group of other men from Jerusalem show up. And he asks them, he says, what's going on in Jerusalem? How are the people doing? How's the city doing? How's the worship going there? Like, how are things going? And Hananiah came and specifically told Nehemiah of the devastation of Jerusalem. And this basically led Nehemiah to praying intensively for a long period of time and then going to the king, getting provisions, heading out to Jerusalem, leaving his place of comfort, of prestige, of, of peace, of safety, and going to Jerusalem to do this incredibly hard task of restoring Jerusalem to essentially her former glory, restoring worship in Jerusalem to God and protecting Jerusalem by building these walls. It was Hanani that came and told Nehemiah that's really started all of this going. Um, we can assume because of this account pretty accurately that Nehemiah's brother Hanani was a man who loved the Lord and loved the Lord's people. Um, so much so that he was willing to leave Jerusalem, travel a long distance to get to his brother Nehemiah, who had, um, you could say rightfully so, his brother tried to get Nehemiah, enlist Nehemiah in helping him restore Jerusalem. And that's one of the reasons I think Hanani is listed here, that Nehemiah trusts him. He was one of the men that started this whole project, that started Nehemiah even coming into Jerusalem in the first place. Then we get to Hananiah. Um, he's a man who Nehemiah actually lists as a man who's faithful and God-fearing. 
Um, he's a man of integrity, a man that's trustworthy. Um, Nehemiah could not afford to put compromised leaders over the city and the city gates. So point number one for us today is to protect the great work that God has given us, godly leadership is critical. To protect the great work that God has given us, godly, leader, godly leadership is critical. Every Christian ministry, I really do believe this, is, is one generation away from destruction. What do I mean by that? Well, when we either allow compromised leaders to remain in leadership positions, or hire men and women um, who have a flawed character, or we trust in leaders who don't want to do God's work God's way, but they want to do God's work their way. Now, see, there's a distinction there. So we, there's, there's a couple different ways that we can compromise ourselves. In one generation, a very short period of time, all it takes is one, one leadership, one leader in the church to be compromised and to ruin the entire ministry, right? Now, I do believe that the church, broadly speaking, will not, will not die. We, it will not fail. God will uphold the church um, all the way until the end when Jesus, whenever Jesus returns to, to meet his bride, to, uh, to take us to be with him. However, though, the ministries, local ministries like Cross Connection Church or um, any other church in your area, um, all it takes is one generation. And a thriving church can go from thriving and doing a great work for God to being extinct because they trust compromised leaders or allow them to remain or they hire men and women that have no character or they trust in leaders who want to do God's work their way. You see, there's a couple people that I think we can point to in the Bible. I mean, the Bible's all, I mean, all throughout the Bible, there's examples of God's way being different than our way usually, right? Um, we can say like the, the verse that comes to mind right off the bat is that, that we make plans, but the Lord determines our steps, right? Like we make plans, but then the Lord kind of like says, no, you're actually going to go around this way and this way and this way. Um, Jonah, God told Jonah what to do like he told Nehemiah what to do, like he impressed on Nehemiah's heart to go to Jerusalem and start this great building project and this restoration of worship in Jerusalem. Jonah, he said, I want you to go and prophesy to Nineveh. And Jonah chose to do the exact opposite. He said, that's not what I want to do. These people are wicked people. Lord. I want to go prophesy their destruction. I don't want to tell them they could be saved. Jonah didn't do things the way that God wanted him to do. He tried to do it his own way and he tried to leave. And that ended up poorly as he got swallowed up in a great fish. Maybe we can bring that a little bit more down to earth and say, well, okay, nobody's been swallowed up by a fish, but how about David and Goliath? Okay, David shows up and all of Israel is trembling in fear over this Palestinian giant, um, a Philistine giant, I'm sorry, a Philistine giant that, um, Goliath, that is large and he, every morning he would come up and just scream at the armies of Israel and they did nothing but cower in fear and they would not face him. They would not send out someone to face him. And, and God wasn't, see, God wasn't looking for a man in shiny armor because when David came and said, I'll fight him, I'll take him on. And, and the king at the time said, okay, but we want to put all of these, um, all this armor on you. And when David put it all on, he's like, this little guy, um, you know, I, I imagine this little, you know, five foot five guy. And he's just like, this doesn't even fit me. I can't move in this stuff. Like, no, I'm just going to go out with what I came with, my sling and a rock. And see, God wasn't looking for somebody bigger than Goliath to accomplish his great work. God was looking for person that would look to him and say, who is this Philistine giant 
that is blaspheming the name of God, who the people of God are cowering in fear over, who is he compared to our God? He looked up at God and said, why is this going on? And he trusted that God would not be mocked. You see, today we need to look for leaders that first looked God in all circumstances instead of looking to the situation. You know, instead of fearing the situation because it looks like by all human standards that it's impossible. We need leaders today that look first to God, like David. You say, no, I don't need all of these, the resources, I don't need this, these shields, a sword, all this stuff. I just need what I came with. I just need my God. And my God will never fail me. You see, I think the same principle is true of leadership nationally, right? We talked about leadership within the church, um, how we're one short generation away from extinction if we allow compromised leaders into leadership positions or allow them to remain in leadership positions. Um, Alexander Hamilton, actually, at the founding of our country, really, the Federalist 57, reads um, this, something that he wrote, said this, the aim of every political constitution is or ought to be first to obtain for rulers men who possess most wisdom to discern. Sounds like Nehemiah, right? And then he continues, and most virtue to pursue the common good of society. Sounds kind of like Nehemiah. And in the next place, to take the most effectual precautions for keeping them virtuous while they continue to hold their public trust. That's kind of deep, really. I mean, when you think about it, it's like, you can't tell me and convince me that the Bible, that the stories of the Bible, um, especially Nehemiah, did not influence the founding documents of our country. Godly leaders do God's work God's way. Godly leaders will ultimately be men of wisdom and discernment, and they will have a virtue that pursues the common good of society, like Nehemiah. We talked about Nehemiah and what it looks like to have discernment to do the great work when I taught last two weeks ago. Um, here's a point I want to make for us this morning. Um, Point number two for us is the character of a person in relationship to God will determine their trustworthiness in human affairs. I'll say that again. The character of a person in relationship to God will determine their trustworthiness in human affairs. You see, I do, I do think that we as, as a country no longer value virtue, right? I mean, we're a country now that celebrates for a whole entire month pride. Um, pride is a sin, if, if you are, are following. Um, but I, I want to bring this more to you right now. What do people know you by? Are you known as one who fears God more than most? Right? We're looking at Hananiah and Hananiah, these men that Nehemiah trusted out of, uh, I mean, very few people that Nehemiah trusts at this point for important leadership positions such as guarding the gates and guarding what God had already established and built. What are you known by? Um, are you known as one who fears God more than most? Is your life marked by your faithfulness to God above all else? It's important to appoint leaders who have the discernment of Nehemiah, the prayer life of Daniel, the heart of David, the wisdom of Solomon, and the integrity of Joseph. But we also must strive for those characteristics in our own lives. Right? We can look at our nation today and say, how could we possibly have um, a president such as this? How could we possibly have governors such as the governors that we have? And I'm not just talking about California, I'm talking about all the states in general. 
we can look and we can shake our fist at these people, these people that we elected, right? And we can say, how did this happen? Well, I would, I would, I would push back and say, it happens because a compromised people can only elect compromised ele representatives. I'll say that again, a compromised people can only elect compromised representatives because quite honestly, I fear that we, nationally, secularly, and in, even in the church, we do not value virtue and godliness in our leadership today because we ourselves are so utterly compromised. I want you to think about that for a minute. We do not value virtue and godliness in our leadership today because we ourselves are so utterly compromised. All you have to look at, I mean, okay, men that are witnessing a fight or witnessing another man beating up a woman, and what do they do? Instead of intervening, they do what? They, they pull out their cell phone and film it for the world to see. We, we have thrown virtue out the window. We have thrown godliness to the wayside. And our leadership today reflects that. And we need to be on our knees like Nehemiah. We need to be on our knees like Daniel and David. And Joseph, and we need to be praying to the God above that he would look down on us and that he would change hearts and reinstill in us a value for virtue and godliness. That his spirit would do a work in our lives first, right? Because it has to start in your life. It has to start in my heart before it can go into the world. Because I pose this question to you. Could you have served as Hananiah or Hananiah if you were called upon to do so? Have you, been okay. Have you been building walls of faithfulness and godliness around your lives and shut the gate to everything else? Right? Have you been building walls of godliness and faithfulness in your life and shut the walls to everything else? So let's talk about the gates. He said this in verse 3. He said that to them, Hananiah and Hananiah, let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot. While they are still standing guard, let them shut, the bar, shut and bar the doors and appoint guards among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. See, the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses were yet built. Verse 3, um, there's three instructions here given to Hanani and Hanani, these leaders. First, that the gates should remain closed until the sun is up, so until late morning, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Second, that they should shut the doors and bar them while they were on duty, while these guards were on duty. So that could potentially mean that the doors were only to remain open, um, or only to open up upon demand. You know, so somebody would have to say, I'd like the gates to be open, and they would open it for people upon demand as they came. Um, there is some variation of, amongst biblical scholars on that, but I, I think the general idea is that we don't want to be opening up our gates when it's dark, when we don't know who wants to be let in. We don't know what their intentions are because they're concealed in darkness. And third, we need to enlist locals to help protect the doors near their homes. Nehemiah was really great at this. He, they, they, remember, he enlisted locals to help build the wall around where they lived. Um, so in their localized area, they, had to, they were responsible for building that portion of the wall. And he did the same thing with now protecting the wall and the gates that were now in those localized areas. Um, Nehemiah is really great at delegating like that. Enlist local help to protect the doors near their homes. I would like to offer a few suggestions now for guarding the gates around your own life. Um, first, be careful who you, who you let in. Um, now, what do I mean by who you let in? It could be people, it could be doctrine, it could be values, and it could be beliefs. Under the cover of darkness, it's hard to know what you're letting in until it's revealed by the light. 
right? Second, this one's important too, enlist others in helping you stay accountable. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Proverbs 27, 17. When we try to guard the gates of our own hearts, of our own lives, by ourselves, we inevitably let things in that we shouldn't. Why? Because we all experience moments of weakness. And when it's in moments of weakness and seasons of weakness and seasons of spiritual drought, you could even say, that the devil is so quick to come in and tempt us, that he's so quick to come in and, and throw some kind of false doctrine or some wacky idea into our, into our lives. And then we, we maybe not you know, full-on believe it, but we start to, to tinker with it a little bit. We start to like think about it more and think, well, maybe that is possible. Maybe there, there is this, uh, this power within. Maybe, this, maybe I am strong enough to handle all of this myself instead of relying on my God. You see, in a moment of weakness, we may let in something that destroys everything that God began in us. Partner with others in prayer and have at least one person in your life that you trust who can speak truth into your life even if it hurts, right? Have accountability in your life. God created us for that. He created us for life in connection with God and one another. And we need to be in that kind of relationship, that even that kind of discipleship relationship where we're building each other up in love and good works and we're protecting each other when we see, hey, uh, yeah, you really shouldn't be uh, playing around with these things and these beliefs and these doctrines because they are not biblical and here's why. And you can check each other like that. It's so important that we are praying for each other and protecting each other like that. Verse 5 said, Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first. And in it I found was written, and I'm going to stop right there, Nehemiah's next task in Jerusalem was to ensure that the city was repopulated with the people that belonged there. Um, that the people that belonged in Jerusalem were able to reestablish themselves within the walls of Jerusalem. But they had to belong. right? There had to be legal evidence supporting that these people within the walls actually belonged there. And it's also important that this, this, this whole part of the, this reestablishing the population in Jerusalem was also reestablishing the worship in the temple. Why? Because now you're talking about the, the historical priests and Levites, the different tribes, the priests, the Levites, um, the singers, um, the servants of Solomon. We have all of these different people that had certain tasks that they were basically worship leaders. They were their, their role was to lead the worship in the temple, right? And it's important that those people were actually meant to be there. Why? Because we know that there was a lot of false prophets that were mixed in at this point. Um, the genealogical list given, which I, I don't want to read at all, although if you are looking for a baby name that nobody else in history has used since Nehemiah, you're going to find one in this list, so you can go ahead and read through there. Um, you might find a good one, um, but don't take it from me. I'm probably not going to. So, um, But the same list is also found and listed for us in Ezra chapter 2. Remember, Ezra and Nehemiah worked together. In fact, in chapter 8, Ezra's going to come back in and Ezra's going to be reading the book. And that's why this, is, this genealogy, this record is important, because Nehemiah is setting the stage for the reestablishment of real worship and godliness because they're going back to the scriptures as a people. They're going back to their God and the worship of their God. And this is so incredibly important because now they can do that in the relative safety of the walls that have just been built. Nehemiah was led by God to do this when it, so he said this specifically, God put it on my heart 
to bring together all the nobles and the leaders and to do this genealogical record. Much like God puts into our hearts today certain people, certain places um, to share the gospel with, right? Countless missionaries since the birth of the church have been divinely led by the Lord to reach new people and share with them the good news of Jesus Christ and the salvation that he has to offer them. Point number three is this. We need divine guidance over our physical and material tasks. Nehemiah said, the Lord impressed upon my heart. The Lord, God put this in my heart. What does God put into your heart today? You see, even in the physical and material tasks, we need divine guidance. Or you could even say a divine vision. What has God put into your heart today? Because... We know this um, in Proverbs 29:18, and I always love going back to this one here. It says, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. In other translations, it might actually read like this, Where there is no divine guidance. Where there is no divine guidance, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. The truth is, without divine guidance, the prompting of God moving in our hearts, which he gives us this renewed vision, Without that renewed vision from the Lord, we perish. We perish. And we need that divine guidance, that divine vision, even over our physical and material tasks, even when it comes down to um, recording a genealogy and reading a book like Nehemiah was doing. The menial task, the physical task of that. We need a divine guidance and divine leading into it. Today, having a vision is important. I would even say that if you don't have a vision, you don't have a future. And what I mean by that is um, a man or a woman that doesn't have a vision will always return to the past. If you don't have your sights set on something, you're not going to hit anything. Right? Have something you're aiming at and go for it. Have a vision. Have, yeah, and when you have a vision, especially when it's a divine vision, right? When it's a divinely inspired vision... And God says, go. God says, go to Jerusalem and reestablish the wall, rebuild the walls and reestablish um, worship in Jerusalem and a return to the word of God in Jerusalem. You do that. You see, but if you don't have any vision at all, the only thing that you're going to ever do is return to your past. And that's very true in, in cyclical sin in your life where it's like you have some sin and we talked about temptation two weeks ago. You can always go back to that message in Nehemiah 6 where Nehemiah was tempted three different ways. And, but Nehemiah knew the great work that God had called him to. He had a vision to accomplish that great work. He had a divinely inspired vision and because of that he had a future. You see, but when you don't have that, you almost always return to the past. Your past sin, your past behavior your past actions. So before we close, I want to look at this last part of the chapter. I want to look at this last part of the chapter. In verse 67, it talks about the whole assembly was gathered together was 42,360. Um, it talks about um, the male and female servants who were there, there were 7,000. Um, they had the singers, the male and female, the horses, their camels, their donkeys. Um, and then it talks about what each, the, the head of the house gave to the work. And starting in verse 70, the governor gave, the priests gave, the, uh, I mean, everybody gave to the work of the kingdom of God. Point number four for you is that membership in the kingdom of God 
has its privileges and its responsibilities. Membership in the kingdom of God has its privileges and its responsibilities. You see, these people in Nehemiah's time, the privilege of being within the walls was that they had protection now, right? They had leadership, they had protection, they could now worship freely. They could return to the scriptures. They could return to worshiping their God. But it did cost them something. The responsibility was that they now were on the hook. They had to fund the good work that God was doing, right? They, they had to be treasure transplanters. They had to give to the great work that God was doing. They were invested heavily in it by building physically, like physically building the walls themselves, they were invested in it. By materially giving to, to, the, to the work that Nehemiah was doing, they were invested in it both physically and financially. In Nehemiah 10, we're going to further see what was given, um, but this was all ultimately to accomplish the restoration of the heart of worship in Jerusalem, which we'll see in the next chapter. And I'm so excited for chapter 8, um, and I, I really I beg you to tune in next week because it's going to be just an amazing chapter as they reopen the Word of God. The responsibility for us is that we're treasure transplanters. What do I mean by that is that you're taking something that is of earthly good, right? You're taking something that's of earthly good, and you're turning it into something that is eternal, right? The kingdom of God will last forever. The church, the people of God, will last forever. And when you invest in that, you're investing in the only thing that you can possibly invest in that is eternal. That you're going to see the rewards of that in eternity. You're going to see that in eternity. So you're transplanting what is temporary and what's going to rot away and burn away. And um, you're taking that and you're turning that into something that will last forever. That will reap eternal rewards. The responsibility for the believer is to be obedient to what God has called us to do. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. To love our neighbor as ourself. The responsibility for us is to be obedient to the divine vision that God puts in your heart. So are you feeling led to serve somewhere? Are you feeling led to, to talk to someone? Are you feeling led to send a, a card of encouragement to somebody? Are you feeling led to possibly teach children's ministry? Behind me is the Mojave Desert. Um, pretty amazing, right? Cross Connection Church, we just like are, you know, teleported into the Mojave Desert for VBS this week. Um, but there's, there's kids here right now as I'm recording this um, that are going through our church that are learning about Jesus and hearing about a God that they never knew. Maybe you're feeling led to, to minister to the next generation. Or maybe uh, you're like, well, I, I don't really feel comfortable around kids, but I would love to come help set up in the morning. I'm a morning person, and uh, I'll take my cup of coffee, and I'll be there early and help set up whatever it is around the church. Um, or perhaps it's greeting in the morning uh, before service. You have a good smile on your face, and you're welcoming other people you'd love to greet, or ushering, um, helping make sure people are comfortable in the services. Um, do not, either way, I encourage you, whatever the Lord is prompting you to do, don't hesitate. Don't hesitate and don't disregard what the Lord is calling upon you to do. It's our responsibility as the people of God to be obedient to Him. Right? And that doesn't just mean that, uh, well, I'm not really called to be a pastor, but uh, so I, I don't need to serve. I'll just show up at church every week. No, it's every single person in the body of Christ. If you are a believer here today, you have a responsibility as part of the body. 
And you can't just say, well, um, I feel like I might just be a finger like or a, a hand, so I'm not super important. You know, you can do without. You can just use one hand, right? No, you are important. You know, there's different parts of the body, and you got to find out where God has called you and, and intended for you to serve. See, the privilege, right? I said that it comes with responsibility and with privilege. The privilege is this. As we close, Nehemiah had a book, right? In that book, it was written the names of the people who belonged in Jerusalem, who belonged within the walls, who had the legal right to be there. Jesus also has a book. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And in that book is written the names of every single person, man and woman and child, who will inherit the kingdom of God who will live forever with our Lord, who will be welcomed into the gates of the new Jerusalem when God makes all things new, as Revelation chapter 20 talks about. Where there is no weeping, no sorrow, no sickness, no death, where we will be with our Savior forever. That's the privilege. That is the great privilege that we have. You see, though, Revelation chapter 20 also says this, though. He says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You see, all of us from birth were destined to go to hell because we were born into sin. And Jesus came and gave us another way. He came to reconcile us back to God, that we can be born again into the family of God, adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God, that we could inherit eternal life because we believe in Jesus Christ, who bore our sins on the cross, that we might not have to pay the penalty of our sins. How can you be sure that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Well, Titus chapter 2 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. So that's everybody, not just some of you. Um, it's, it's everybody. If you are a walking, if you're a living, breathing if your heart is beating, if you can feel a heartbeat, you, you're included in that. Christ came once to bear the sins of many. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, it says, So also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, but not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Who are those that are waiting for him? Those are the people who have confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, who have believed in their heart that God raised him from the dead. And they are the ones that are saved. They're the ones that hear his voice when he calls and they answer. They're the ones that are obedient to everything that's written in his book. Not perfectly. We all sin. We've all fallen short of the, of the glory of God. But we're the people that, to the best of our knowledge and ability and power, we are growing in God, and we're allowing the Holy Spirit to transform our character to match our calling. So my prayer for you, right now, wherever you're at, listening online, that you would take these things into careful consideration, and that you would ask yourself the question, am I a friend of God? Does Jesus know me? When I get to heaven, is Jesus going to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome into eternity. Welcome into the gates. Or are the gates going to be shut because you never believed in Jesus because you just thought, well, you know, I've done enough good in my life. 
You know, maybe I'll consider doing this later. Today is the day of salvation. We don't have a guarantee of tomorrow. Take these things into careful consideration. I believe that you are all very smart people. And let's pray. Lord, I do pray that we would surround ourselves with godly leaders. Lord, but even more than that, I pray that we would, in this generation, see many godly leaders raised up. Father, godly leaders in Cross Connection Church, godly leaders around the world. Our world is spiritually sick, Lord, and we need godly leaders to come in and restore the walls in our civilization, the walls in our lives, Lord, and we need to restore the worship of our God and return to the scriptures. So, Lord, I know that some were challenged today and they need your divine guidance over their weekly, everyday tasks. Some people today, Lord, might feel like they, they're, they're in that spiritual drought where they're, they don't have a real vision right now for their life. Holy Spirit, would you fill them, give them a vision and a future, some perhaps, Lord, need the joy of their salvation restored. Lord, uh, maybe these are the people, Lord, that they left, they, they, their walls were up, the gates were up, but then they never appointed, they never put the right protections around their life, the right accountability in their life, and they've let ideas and things into their life, Lord, that have halted the work that you started. And they need the joy of their salvation returned to them, Lord. Well. Father, that's a, that's a valid prayer, and we pray, I pray for them. Would you restore the joy of their salvation? Whatever we're going through right now, Lord, there's a lot of hurting people. Restore the joy of our salvation. Lord, search our hearts. Find in us anything that should not be consuming space in us and replace it with your spirit of truth. That we may accomplish and complete and finish the good work that you've started Lord, that we would keep the doors closed to our gates, Lord, and not allow anything to enter in that would not be of you. Father, would you use us for your glory? May your kingdom come and may your will be done in our lives as it is in heaven. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Well, it was great to be with you today. I pray for you um, every week, and if you haven't visited Cross Connection Church um, in person in a while, I would encourage you to stop by. Um, we have our services at 8.30 and 10.30 on Sunday mornings. We would love to see you here. If not, please reach out online. Let us know how you've been interacting with our online broadcast, um, and just, just know that um, we also have our prayer, um, our prayer tools there for you as well. If you have any prayer requests, we would love to know to how, how we can specifically be praying with and for you this week. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.